of thought and where I want to start, and we'll see what the Lord wants to do. But, um, you know, it is amazing what you can get out of this book when you come to it and you approach it with no agenda. Um, because I think so many of us, if you claim to be a, a, a grace person, you come to it with an agenda of show me your grace. If you're a faith person, show me your faith. If you're a legalist, you know, show me, show me your wrath, whatever. But, um, yeah, so, so, so when we come to the Word with no agenda, it is amazing what we can see. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've shared here before, I'm a grace preacher because I'm a Bible teacher. I'm a faith preacher because I'm a Bible teacher, and so on and so on. But, um, so I just wanted to share that. But let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. And it, it reads, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. So I want you to just think about this really quick. And because there, there's something I want to say here, but I, I want to get to it a little bit later. So I'm just going to say this in passing. As believers, we read the Bible, right? I don't know who, who this quote originated with, but there's, there's some quote that says something like, you know, we read our Bible and the world reads us. And that is very much true. As, you know, we read the Word, but the world, the unbelievers, and even a lot of, you know, even believers, they read us, right? So, so there's something Paul is, he's beginning this thought here, and if you have time when you go home later, I would recommend, we're going to read all of 2 Corinthians 3, but I would recommend you read all of 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. Because there's this thought that he actually begins right here in this verse. You are our epistle. And if you think about an epistle, now I know that word is just referring to a letter, but if you think about an epistle in the Bible, um, the epistles of Paul and, and, and these men, these were letters that were written with the primary focus to explain what God has done for, in, and through us as, the, as believers. So he's saying here, the world will look at you, the world looks at you and they determine who God is, they determine what God has done, what he is doing, and what, he's, what he can do through someone, right? So he's beginning this thought here, and if you don't have this in mind, this verse, then, um, you know, having those, the Bible, these, these, these epistles, they weren't written like, you know, verse by verse like we read, you know, chapter by chapter. They, they weren't written that way. Those were added later on. So we tend to think, all right, here's chapter 3, we read chapter 3, and then chapter 4 is a different thought. And that's not the way it is. And so cha uh, chapter 3, verse 2, begins this thought that actually ends, well, doesn't end, but it reaches its culmination in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, when he says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. So let's, let's just kind of establish this. Um, let's go on to verse 3. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. 
not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think any things as of ourselves. Now, why is he saying this? He's just got done saying, you are the epistle that the world reads. And then he says, but now listen, even though we are the epistle, we don't think a lot of ourselves. Why is he saying that? Because he's actually about to tell you there's a lot to think about yourself. We have shortchanged ourselves, okay? And we're about to see that. But our sufficiency, anything good about us, is of God, who has also made us able ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Now, notice this word, Spirit. Uh, I'm reading from the King James. The New King James, I have a big S. Remember, I've talked to you about this before. Um, in the Greek language, there is no, you know, in the Greek language that the Bible is written in, there is no capitalization. All right, so anytime you see a, a capital, the, the translators are using liberty, okay? They're, they're, they're trying to, to, you know, based on their own opinion, whether it's referring to the Holy Spirit or the human spirit. Um, based on what Paul had just said in verse... Three, when he talked about not in tables of stone but in fleshly tables of the heart, he's talking about something that's inside of us. So I think he's actually talking about how this new covenant ministers to the spirit of man. Okay? And you, you'll, we'll see this as we go on. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. For if the ministry of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious... This is the word we're going to focus on today. Was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministry of the Spirit, little s, be rather glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness exceed in glory. Alright? For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excels. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. So... um, so there's these two words that keep popping up, glorious and glory. Now, have you ever stopped and thought, um, you know, there's these words we use all the time in church. You know, they're, they're our Christian lingo, like hallelujah. Have you ever stopped and thought, what does hallelujah actually mean? Uh, what about, you know, when, when I was growing up, I didn't really have a sense of what amen meant. So when I first got saved and stuff, man, somebody could say, we're going to have dinner after church, and I'm like, amen. You know, I mean, it, it, it didn't matter. I mean, you just amen it if you agreed with it. And what you actually learn is the word amen is a very prophetic word. So, so I, you know, I actually tell people, be a little bit careful with your amen. Because when you amen something, what you're, you're doing is you're agreeing with something and saying, uh, that's what I want in my life. That's what I call forth into my life. So, you know, when we or hearing a message, I'm referring to myself 10 years ago, and I heard someone condemning people, and I amended it, I was inviting more condemnation into my life because I was saying, so be it in my life, right? So what about the word glory? You know, I, I, I came from uh, 
Pentecostal and Baptist churches and, and uh, you know, say it all the time, well, glory, you know, well, glory. And I'm like, just the other day, I was reading these scriptures, and I'm like, what does that even mean? Right? And I, I actually messaged a, a, a good friend of mine, a good pastor friend of mine, and he pastors a Baptist church, and I said, what does the word glory mean? And, uh, and his, his answer was really good. But um, how many of when you want to know something, the best thing to do is let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. So if you have a question about a certain word or a certain subject, the best thing you can do is go to the Word and see if the Word defines it for you. Now, it's great when we go into the Hebrew and the Greek. I love those things. But how many knows, at the end of the day, still Hebrew and Greek dictionaries, uh, there was a Hebrew and Greek scholar that made those definitions. right? So, so there, there's something powerful when we can understand what something is by going to the Bible and letting Scripture interpret Scripture and getting an answer. So let, let's do that. Let's ask the question, what is glory? Go with me to Exodus chapter 33. And we're going to begin with verse uh, 12. Now, yeah, let's, let's, before I get ahead of myself, let's go to Exodus 33 verse 12. Now, here's what I would have said... I don't know when ago, you know, how long ago, but if you would have asked me what glory is, my answer would have been the manifested presence of the Lord. That would have that would have because you have in the old covenant you had the Shekinah glory, and that idea was it was the manifested presence of God. So that would have been my answer. That you know, if there was a a you know just a meeting where the, the presence of God was really manifested and powerful and obvious to everyone that that service was full of glory. So let's see here if that's correct. Exodus 33, verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, you say unto me, Bring up this people, and you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you also have found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray you, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. Listen to this, verse 14. And he said, my, this is God speaking to Moses, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said unto me, If your presence does not go with me, then don't take us there. For wherein shall it be known here that I and your people have found grace in your sight? Is it not in that you go with us? So shall we be separated, I and your people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. So let's think about this for a minute. God has, Moses has asked God, you know, I want to know you. And God, and he says, I want your, and, and God responds, my presence will go with you. And Moses says, listen, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. Now notice the verse, so God has already told Moses he will do what? He will manifest his presence as he goes, right? He's already told you, my presence with you, all right? 
Look at verse 18. And he, speaking of Moses, said, I beseech you, show me your glory. Now they had already established that, his pre- that God's presence was going with them. That's, a done, that, that's established. That's promised. And then Moses turns around and says, Alright, now show me your glory. This shows us that glory and presence are two different things. They can't be the same thing. Alright, now, now, now follow me here. Look here. He says, and I, I beseech you, show me your glory. Look at God's response in verse 19. And he, being God, said, I will make all, what? My goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, you cannot... And we don't, we don't have to read that part. So, so notice here. He says, we've established that your presence is going with us. Moses says, yeah, but I want something more. I want to see your glory. I don't want to feel your glory. I don't want to know about your glory. I want to see your glory. And God responds and never mentions glory. He only mentions goodness. This tells me that God's glory is His goodness. Can you see that? And there's one more verse that will will make this plain. Anything you see in Scripture, don't take one verse and run with it and say that's it. All right? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So we see it's His goodness. Let's see if we can find one more witness that, that backs this up. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 7, and we're going to begin with verse 1. Second Chronicles 7, verse 1. So they've just, the children of Israel, have just built a temple, Solomon's temple as we know it today. And Solomon had just got done dedicating this building to the Lord. Verse 1. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Listen to this. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. Now look here at verse 3. You're like, well, this doesn't say anything about goodness. Look here at verse 3. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord. And look here what they said. When they seen the glory of the Lord, they did not mention His wrath. They did not mention His anger. They didn't even mention His holiness. They said, For He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Now, what I used to believe is that people fell down in the presence of God because He was so holy that they couldn't stand it. No, what happens is He's so good that they can only handle so much goodness. He's so merciful that fallen man can only handle so much mercy. And so they seen the glory of the Lord, and they didn't respond and say, He is angry, He is full of wrath. They said, He is good. So here we see two scriptures that 
the glory of the Lord is the goodness of the Lord. So now let's think about 2 Corinthians 3. He says, there was glory in the old covenant. There was, here's a revelation for us grace folks. There was goodness in the old covenant. It wasn't all bad. Jesus said, you know, he, he was talking about how they focused, the, the Pharisees, they were focused on tithing. And he said, you, you mess up with that. There's some grace people making that mistake. When they think of the law, they only focus on the tithing part. But Jesus said, no, the weightier matters of the law, or the, the most important things about the law, are uh, justice, faith, and mercy. All right? None of those things are bad. And then Paul also used three words to describe the law. He said the law is holy, just, and what? Good. All right? So there was goodness in the old covenant. Well, let me let, just name a few things that were good about the law, about the old covenant. One, the children of Israel, through the, through the old covenant, they had revealed to them uh, God's names. Um, it was Israel who had it revealed to them that he was uh, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. The, the rest of um, the world, the pagan religions, they only believed God would provide if they begged him, um, you know, did all of these ungodly things to get him to do what they needed him to do. But Israel seemed through their father Abraham, no, listen, providing that's what God does. Uh, Israel had revealed to them Jehovah Rapha or Jehovah Rophi or Jehovah Rapha, depending on how you know. There's different pronunciations, but that's the Lord our healer. So they had revealed to them that healing isn't just something God will do when you beg Him enough. Healing is who He is. So Israel, through the old covenant, they had a revelation of who God is. And let me say this about the names of God. As a church, see what happened was after the first century, you got to think Paul, Peter, John, all these guys, they had this uh, understanding of the Old Covenant. And they did not do like we do today. We read the Old Testament today and we get so much guilt and shame and condemnation out of it. But when Paul read the law, you know what he's seen? He's seen the New Covenant. When John and Peter read the Old Testament, they seen Jesus. And that's what we can see today. So there's there's so let me say this. Remember when Jesus said, I have come in your name? He wasn't saying that Jesus is the name of the Father. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, I have come and personally showed these people Jehovah Rapha. That's why he went about healing everyone everywhere. He came and showed them uh, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. He came. That's why he always said, peace be unto you. He came and showed them Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Right? He showed them all them, these names. So if you have any belief about God that doesn't line up with an Old Testament name, you've got a false doctrine. It has to line up with his name. All right? Uh, in the Old Testament, something good about the Old Testament was they had his commandments. The commandments, as Paul said, are holy, just, and good. I've made the point that the commandments, that word means prescriptions. They were divine prescriptions that showed them how to, how to live a life of love. And I've recently covered that on our Wednesday night Bible study. If you're 
uh, getting the chance to watch that. If you're not, I highly recommend you go back. I covered that a few weeks ago. There is an aspect of the law where it shows us we need a Savior, but there's also an aspect of the law where it shows us what love looks like, right? All right, and then there was uh, the Scriptures. The pagan world didn't have the Scriptures. Israel had the Scriptures, and they were given that through the Old Covenant. And we could go on and on. All that to say is there was goodness under the Old Covenant. All right, And so what Paul says is, listen, there was goodness in the Old Covenant, but that goodness faded away. That goodness was temporary. And that's where it fell short. All right, so, so let's look at what the problem was with the law. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 8. So there's goodness in the law, and if there's goodness in the law, then what happened? What went wrong? Hebrews chapter 8, we'll begin with verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. See, now this verse alone, you would have reason to say, see, the problem was with the commandments, the problem was with the covenant. All right, look here. Let's see what the fault was. Verse 8. For finding fault with who? Them. He found the fault. The fault wasn't in the covenant as much as the fault was in the people. Because the covenant said, if you obey all of these statutes, if you obey all of these commandments, if you obey all of these laws, then all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. Alright, what was the problem? They couldn't keep those, all of those commandments. That word all, it doomed them. Right? There's no way they could keep all of those commandments and all of those laws. So the glory faded because it ended with man's performance. It began with God's goodness, but it ended with man's performance. So look here. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not. Here was the fault with the covenant. They continued not. They couldn't keep it. That was the fault. It wasn't the covenant's fault as much as it was the people's fault. But since the people couldn't keep it, God said, I found fault with this covenant. All right, And I regard them not, says the Lord. Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Alright, so the problem was with what? The people. The hearts of the people. Verse 10, listen what he says, the very first thing he says. Here's this new covenant. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. So the first thing God says I'm going to do is, with this new covenant, is since the goodness starts with me and ends with them, I'm going to just remove them out of the equation. I'm going to, I'm going to send my son, and he's not going to disobey, so it, the goodness isn't going to end. All right. So he's saying there's, there's goodness to the law, Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians 3, so how much more so the goodness of the new covenant? So let, let me think about this. Be with me. This is just in my heart. This isn't, no notes here. 
All right. The fault was with man. So what God does is he takes that stony heart out of man and he gives him a soft he gives him a soft heart. He takes that rebellion that is in the heart of man. Let, let me put it this way. God seen that first covenant and that first covenant said have to. So he removed the have to. And in this new covenant, he put something in your heart that says want to. Alright? So he completely changes your heart. When Jesus said that the heart is wicked above all things, he's talking about unregenerate man. He's he's simply saying, listen, uh, all sin ultimately begins in the heart. Okay? That's what Jesus was teaching. He was not saying that there is no such thing as a good heart. Because if, if... if that's what he was saying, then, then Proverbs 4.23 gives us trouble. You know, where it says, Guard your heart above all else, for out of it flow the issues of life. That word issues is boundaries. And so he was saying, everything flows out of your heart. That's what Jesus was teaching. If there's sin in your life, it's flowing from your heart. So God had to do something different and give them a new heart. God had to take these commandments and write them on their heart. So the have-to is replaced with the want-to. And if the have-to is replaced with the want-to, then the fault of the, fir- the, the thing that was faulty about the first covenant has been removed, and now this new covenant is perfect. Okay? So listen to this. He says, There's goodness in the old covenant. How much more so is there goodness in the new covenant? So listen to this. If that old covenant was good and Israel, and they were blessed under the old covenant, how much more so should you and I expect the goodness of the Lord under the new covenant? Alright? So we can expect God's blessings under the new covenant, but here's the thing. That's not the the blessings, the promises, those aren't the good things of the new covenant. That's not the glory of the new covenant. That's just the benefit. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians 3. I want to read this. Uh, let's finish reading this. Is this making sense to you guys? All right, so look here. Let's see, where did I leave off here? Verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. So he's talking about the heart here. Verse 16, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord. Notice it says it, not them, not he, not she, it. What's the it? The heart. All right. When the heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So here's why I came here. Verse 18. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass, that means a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So in the old covenant that had goodness, where was the glory of the Lord? It fell from heaven, it filled the, it filled the temple, it filled the tabernacle, but it didn't stay there. It was temporary. 
All right? But now, under this new covenant, he says, if you want to see the glory, if you want to see the goodness of the new covenant, you don't look up to heaven, you don't look to a building, you go look in the mirror. And when you see what's in the mirror, you, you behold the glory of the Lord. If you're the one looking in the mirror, and you're seeing the glory of the Lord, what are you seeing? You. You are the glory of the Lord. You are the goodness of the Lord. You are the mercy of the Lord under this new covenant. So the glory of the new covenant, listen to this, is the new creation. Remember, whenever you see the word new creation, it should call to your remembrance the old creation. Now the old creation isn't Adam, it's actually in Genesis 1. And when God made man, when he was done that day, what did he say? It is good. Alright? But we know Adam sinned, we know Eve sinned, we know they fell. Sin entered the world, death entered the world, sickness entered the world, shame entered the world, condemnation entered the world. All these things entered the world, but yet, now under this new creation, we go right back to it is good. Alright? So he's talking about... Now here's the problem. We're not, when you go look in the mirror, he's not talking about an actual physical mirror. This word is a mirror. Remember what Jesus said? He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, little s. He's saying, they're, they're, I'm talking about what's on the inside of you. And they are life. Doesn't that sound like what Paul was just saying when he said the ministry of the Spirit ministers life? The good thing about this new covenant is it doesn't minister to your performance. It ministers to your spirit. Because it knows when it, when it ministers to your spirit, it takes care of the performance. Right? Because, listen, why does man do... what? Why, why so much sin in the world? Because there's so many dead spirits in the world. But when you use the new covenant to minister life to the spirit of man, the performance, the obedience, the trust, all these things take care of themselves. Go with me. And, and let, let me notice this. He says, it, it, it doesn't just end with, I'm the glory of the Lord. See, this is why he had to say, we don't think much of ourselves. I'm not saying we think much of ourselves. That's why he started with this. Because he was about to tell them something that was going to make them walk around and say, yep. The glory of the Lord. You know, so he had to tell them, he had to tell them, listen, I'm, I'm still not talking about you. You're not Mr. Wonderful. You're not Mrs. Perfect in yourself. All right? So it doesn't just end there. Or change into the same image from glory to glory. You go from goodness to goodness. From mercy to mercy. All right? In other words, it... it it's not fading. And this is why you have to know that the new covenant and your salvation isn't based on your performance. Because if it was, then it'd be possible to go from glory to shame. Glory, no glory. But he says, nope, you just go from glory to glory because it's not about you. All right, John chapter 17, verse 22. I just finished the book of John this morning been reading it in my daily reading. And uh, I came upon this verse the other day. And this is what started this thought with me. 
All the times I've read this verse, I've never noticed it. John 17, verse 22. So this is Jesus speaking shortly before his crucifixion. He's, and he's praying here to the Father, and he says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. He's, and, and what he was doing here is he was praying for believers. All right, you can go up to verse 20 to get a better idea. And neither pray I for these alone, speaking of the twelve disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. There's not a believer today that doesn't believe on their word. That's what we have in the New Testament, their word. And so he, he's referring to us, and he says, These people that have believed on me through their word, the glory which you have given me, I have given them. We shortchange ourselves. Because the glory... So why do I... How is it possible that I can look in this mirror and see the glory of the Lord? Because when I look in this mirror, I see someone who is one with Jesus. I see someone who is in union with Jesus. So when I look in the mirror, I'm not looking at my performance. I'm looking at His. Right? And that's why Paul said in Romans... Uh, chapter 8, he said, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He's actually not referring to the Holy Spirit. He's referring to the Spirit, the innermost part of man. Our spirit is one, as 1 Corinthians 6 says, with the Lord. Alright? Let's look here. Let, let's, let's keep looking here. Go with me at Romans chapter... Uh, go with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Now, all my life, I've heard this verse quoted. I was raised in church and things. Praise God for that. And when, when I heard this verse quoted, and for years when I quoted it, I quoted it a certain way until one day I read it and realized I was quoting it the wrong way. And one word makes all the difference. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. Now, the way I always quoted this was the glory is going to be revealed to us. And the idea that comes along with that is, listen, this world stinks, this life, it's, it's horrible, and then one day you're going to get to go to heaven and then you're going to see the glory. Right, it, it, you, and it's going to blow your mind how awesome heaven is. I agree that even at best, this life stinks in comparison to heaven. Right, heaven is full of the goodness and the glory of the Lord, but he said this glory shall be revealed in us. Do you know? Listen here. Here, here's the idea we have about heaven, and there is truth to it. That when we get to heaven, you know where it says in Revelation that He will wipe every tear from every eye? You know, we think He's going to wipe away our, our tears of our pain and our, and, our, and our sadness and things like that. But listen, why are you crying? You just made it to heaven. Why are you crying about bad things on earth if you're, in, if you're with the Lord? That, that, it, it, I mean, there may be some truth to that, I believe that the reason people, God's going to have to wipe tears from their eyes is because when they get to heaven, they're going to realize what was in them all along. What was in them from the moment they were born again. And that's going to cause us to weep. And God's going to have to wipe those tears from our eyes. 
Alright, so, so the glory, the goodness of the Lord is in us. And, and religion hates this. Remember in Philemon, and do you know not acknowledging this is why so many people's faith won't work. Alright, now I'm putting that in quotations. It won't work. Philemon verse 6 says that the sharing of your faith, that word sharing can mean the impartation of your faith, the working of your faith, becomes effective when you acknowledge every good thing which is in you, in Christ. In other words, this stuff that you've heard about, it don't work until you acknowledge the good in you. Not in your flesh, not in your not in yourself, but in your spirit, that part of you that is in union with Jesus, when you acknowledge that, that's when your faith begins to work. Why? Because you realize there's more to me than what I can see. Alright? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18, uh, Brian will ago quoted that, that prayer where it says that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, you know, I pray that God will give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him, and then it goes on in verse 18, and it talks about his inheritance in the saints. Not, not to the saints, because we tend to think of the inheritance is out there. The inheritance is my circumstances. The inheritance is getting this stuff from God. No, the inheritance, everything you will need for life and godliness is in you. It's in us. That's why Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now people, they, they get that twisted, in heavenly places. See, our blessings are in heaven. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 says, for we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Are you literally sitting in those heavenly places right now? No. It's, it's, it's a figure of speech referring to what you possess in your spiritual realm. Alright, so when it says that we've been given all spiritual blessings, it means literally every blessing that you will ever need, it is in you. That's why it's so powerful when we let our spirit pray, our born-again man pray, uh, because that our spirit, when we pray in other tongues, it's always praying from the, from the perspective of, I've already got this. I'm just releasing this. It never prays like we tend to do in ourselves. And sometimes, you know, there are times it just helps. Say, Lord, give me this. All right? But our spirit prays. When we allow our spirit to pray, it prays from, from the perspective, listen, I've got this. And I just got to release it. All right? Look with me now. All right, here, here's one more thing. That word goodness, we're talking about in the Old Testament. Um... Now, here, here's something I thought about. What, what does goodness mean? What does good mean? Because the world has a definition of good, and it may not line up with the Word's definition of good. We find out what goodness means. So that very same word that Moses used when he said goodness, it's also used in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. Let's, let's actually go ahead and look at that. I want you to get your eyes on that. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. Let's jump up to verse 18, get a little context. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Listen to this. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. This is something that is realized under this new covenant. 
Verse 19. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. That word goodness that Moses used in Exodus 33 is the same word that Isaiah used here when he said you'll eat the good of the land. When you look it up in a Hebrew dictionary, the very first thing you will see is the best. So when, God, when Moses asked God, let me see your glory, he was literally saying, let me see the best part of you. Let me see the best side of you. So when you're looking in the mirror, in the spiritual mirror, and you're seeing the glory, you're literally seeing the best part of you. And this is why I share that. God's goodness and mercy, people say you focus on too much of that. No, that's just the best part of God. Right? And that sounds a little blasphemous, don't it? Well, every bit of him's good, you know. And, and I understand that. But, the, but when Moses was literally asking, show me the best you've got to show me. Show me the best part of you. And God responds, I'll show you my goodness. Right? I'll show you my goodness. So, I'll show you my mercy. All right, look with me now at Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. So remember... Jesus said, we're carrying along with the thought that Jesus said, the glory that the Father had given to him, he was given to us as believers. Look at this real quick. Verse 28, And it came to pass about eight eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. So what we're actually about to read is the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, hmm. and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now remember John, verses 114, John said, And we beheld his glory. Now, until I seen this recently, I used to think it's just because Jesus was glorious. Right? I mean, you know, you just see you see Jesus walking, you think, man, that dude is glorious, that dude is awesome, that dude is good. How many knows the reason the disciples struggled so much to believe these things Jesus said was they walked around with this dude and seen him have to go behind the bushes. They walked around with this dude and smelled him stink. They, they walked around with this guy and, and seen that in his flesh, you know, he was just like us. He was without the sin, right? It's not what I'm referring to. I'm just referring to physically, that dude would stink from time to time. Every day, that brother had to go to the bathroom. All right? And they're like, this is the Messiah? He's over there behind the bushes using the restroom, you know. And this is the guy we're supposed to to worship and to fall down before. So when he died, don't be surprised that they're like, he was just like us. That just proves he was just like us. All right? So when it says we beheld his glory, it's not talking about as they walked with him for three and a half years. They're actually, John is referring to this incident because look here who went with him, Peter and John and James. So John is actually referring to this. Verse 32. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory. So, 
what happened here when they seen his glory was all this stuff that hindered them from believing in him, the stink, the having to go to the bathroom, all these physical things, when that was stripped away, all they seen was the goodness. All they seen was the bright, shining light. All they seen was perfection. If you could see yourself outside of your physical body, it looks the exact same way. It may, it, it will, now look, if, if my spirit looks just like this, right? But it's perfect. It's glorious. It's good. So remember when I said 2 Corinthians 3 begins a thought that culminates in 2 Corinthians 5. That's why then you go down to 2 Corinthians 4. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And then you, you continue to read down there, and he says, For we look not at the things which do appear. We, not, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. He's referring to... Now, we talk about heaven and, and angels and things like that. No, he's actually referring to the Spirit. He's referring to who you are in your spirit. He's saying, I, we focus on that. How do you know that? Because the very next verse says, And we know that if this tabernacle were dissolved, in other words, we know that if you were, if your body was to die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. These aren't different thoughts. They are the same thought. You know what is in you? A treasure. The glory of the Lord. In the old covenant, they couldn't minister because of the glory. In the new covenant, we minister as the glory. The very thing that, that, that was so good, they said, all right, we can't, eat, excuse me, they said, we can't even approach that under the new. We say, we're going to go out and minister as that. We're going to go and minister because we have that. Because we are that. All right? And then, so he, he says, you know, if this tabernacle were to be dissolved, we, you know, we have a, a home, a, a house built uh, in the heavens. He's referring to the Spirit. And so to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 17 and says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So go back later and read Isaiah 3, 4, and 5 and read it as the born-again spirit. Read it referring to the spirit, the innermost part of man. All right? And then uh, John chapter 2, verse 11 talks about how after he had turned the water into wine, that it says, it refers to that as him manifesting his glory. So you are the glory of the Lord, but what we want to do is we want to manifest that glory. So see, that's what makes the new covenant more glorious is because the have to has been replaced with the want to and we go about just like Jesus did. Remember Acts 10, 38 where it says Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil? You know what he was doing? He was manifesting that glory. He was manifesting that goodness. So we're the glory and we're not the glory so we can go sit down and wait to get to heaven. We're the glory so we can go about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That is the purpose of the glory. Alright, we're going to finish up with Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine. He doesn't say, arise, turn on the lights. Arise and shine. That's something to think about. For your light is come. 
And the glory or the goodness of the Lord is risen upon you. Look at here, verse 2. For, dark, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. When you look at this in the Hebrew, it's literally referring to the dark of the darkness. As dark as it gets shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon you and His glory shall be what? Seen upon you. What did Moses ask God? Lord, show me your glory. Don't tell me about your glory. Don't just, don't just, I, I don't want to just know about your glory. I want to see your glory. If there's anyone today that prays, Lord, show me your glory, all they have to do is look at you. Because the glory of the Lord will be seen upon you. That is what makes the new covenant exceed in glory. What makes the new covenant exceed in glory? You. You. What made the old covenant fail? You. What makes the new covenant exceed in glory? You. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Because in this new covenant, you is Jesus. Even as He is, so are we not going to be. We are in this world. Yes. When you go back and you read John chapter 17, He was praying that they may be one even as we are one. Yes. Yes. Let's read here. Look here. Verse 3. And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. See what? The glory of the Lord. I'm standing here this morning, and as I look at you guys, I'm seeing the glory of the Lord. And all they gather themselves together. They come to see. Your son shall come from far, and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. You know what he's saying? You know what's going to attract your, 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 your lost sons and daughters, your sons and daughters that have went the wrong direction in life? Not, not beating them to death with a Bible, but just being and manifesting and shining as the glory of the Lord. Verse uh, 5. Then you shall see and flow together, and your heart shall fear or worship and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto you. And the, now this, in the King James it says forces. That word in the, in the Hebrew only has one meaning. It means the wealth. The wealth of a Gentile shall come unto you. The multitude of camels shall cover you. And dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. And the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto you. The rams of Nebuoth shall minister unto you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify the house of of my glory. That is not this building. That is not any building. You are the house of His glory that He glorifies. Man, that's awesome. And there's...
Go with, I, I gotta do one more. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's start with, um, let's start with verse 19. Is this blessing you guys? Okay, let's see here. Let's, let's, start, let's start with verse 18. For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. He, so he's doing the same thing that Paul did in 2 Corinthians 3. He's drawn, a, he's drawn a, a comparison to the old and new covenant. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard and treated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. That's not people in heaven. He said, you are come. You're there right now. You are the just men whose spirits have been made perfect. That's the glory of the new covenant. Verse 24, And Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, into the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn from him that speaks from heaven. I'm going somewhere with this. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more... I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And I'm not going to go there, but listen, he's quoting Haggai 2, where it talks about the glory of the, the former house is not going to even be able to be compared to the glory of the latter house. That's us. So it, it comes together. Uh, verse 27, And this word yet once more signifies, listen here, it signifies the removing of those things that are shaken. What was shaken? That was us, under the old covenant. We, 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 we were who they found fault with. As of, those, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably and with worship and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, you re- now the legalist reads the consuming fire part and says, you know, Immediately our mind goes to hell, the lake of fire. You know, I'm not denying those things. But here he's talking about that being burned up, which cannot remain. Our God is a consuming fire, is referring to when you got born again, every, every filthy thing about you to your core was consumed away. Just like Jesus... When they seen him in his glory, they no longer seen the stink, right? They no, they no longer seen that guy who needed to shave, who needed a haircut, who needed to go to the bathroom. They didn't see that anymore. All they seen was that which is perfect. And the light was so bright, it is, it is as if all that fleshly stuff had been consumed away. Our God is a consuming fire, and he, in your heart, in your spirit, he has consumed away everything bad. He has consumed everything that fades away like Moses had. All right, we are the glory of the Lord. Man. So the glory of the new covenant is the new creation. Are you a new creation? 
So you are the glory of the new covenant. Does that bless you guys? Amen. Got some of you, you want to say something?